Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and we'll read verse 23. In this passage, it talks about the parable of the sower, and that's a famous parable, but we're not going to look into the parable itself. We're going to look more at Jesus' sermon after the parable. And he mentions how a ministry can bring forth fruit. As I start to look back into my life and into the ministry and other ministries, I always wondered, how does a church become successful? So this is a sermon you want to hear. Obviously, everybody, whether pastor or member, wants their church to grow more, to see more fruit, to see more success, where a ministry can do great fruits for the Lord. And it doesn't have to necessarily mean greater members in numbers of number of members in church. That's not the success of a ministry. Fruit is basically not numbers of members in the church, but how much you're producing for the Lord, whether souls saved, tracks passed out, individuals who are able to improve their own life to become more spiritual, etc. So a lot of times we want to produce fruit. Amen. How many of you, uh, obviously I'm not asking for a raise of hands, just to yourself, how many of you want the church to produce more fruit? How, do you, how many of you want our church to become successful? How, do you, how many of you want God's blessing to fall upon this church and to just grow and grow and grow and produce so much fruit that's the greatest example of a Bible-believing church? I'll tell you what I do, and I hope you do as well. In order to do that, I realize that there is no hidden secret to this. But it's the same old methods, and I'm going to cover several steps. And these are very important steps that you might be very surprised. And these are normal steps. But let's read the passage, Mark chapter 4, verse 23. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that here shall more be given. For he that hath to him, to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, <coughs> and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, and the year, after that the full corn in the year. For when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, and becometh greater than all herbs. And shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. God's spiritual kingdom and his work is compared not to the Eiffel Tower or to the Twin Towers, because just a moment of time, it just collapses and comes down, right? It is compared to, verse 31, a grain of mustard seed. And that's the problem. Our focus of a successful ministry is always big numbers, a nice church building, or the most subscribers on the internet. Hey. So I hope you onlineers don't see or view that as a fruitful ministry. Because a fruitful ministry can be within a few number of subscribers, but they can have tons of different views. Ever thought of that? 
or it could be vice versa. But the point is this. The point is that God's ministry is something very small. If you ever saw a mustard seed, it is very small, but that is God's ministry and work. But God says it becomes greater uh, than all the other. Uh, it is less than all the seeds, but it becomes one of the greatest fruits and trees. Amen. So we have to realize that when we put something in our life to become something great for the Lord in his ministerial work, you have to think about it as a little mustard seed. So Amen. some of you need some mustard in your life. <laughs> the time my message today is add a little mustard in your life. Let's pray. Father God, fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit. Wash away my sins with your blood. I pray that every age will be blessed by the preaching. You will meet each and every person, make each and every person fully understand the sermon, get convicted, change your lives. You get the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my first point is softness, softness. Verse 23 is where we're going to focus. <coughs> so, in order to have a successful, powerful ministry, it's compared to as a mustard seed that grows, right? So when you're sowing on the ground, the first step that's vitally important is a ground that accepts it. And if you have a ground that accepts it or is receptive, it's a soft ground. If you have a hard ground, then you're going to have a hard time growing and it won't grow. It's going to die off. You need a soft ground. You need to break it. You need to till it, etc. So notice at the First part of the verse, verse 23, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And that's my first point of softness is that you have to have a soft heart. Now, for many of you who get discouraged, you think that a successful, powerful ministry is that you are so faithful in your Bible reading and prayer life and your church attendance is consistent. And then you become the greatest of the greats. You can preach well, you can teach well, and then you're so faithful, you stay away from sin and a lot of you do get discouraged because, let's be honest, 90 if not 99% of the people are not like that in church. And because of that, it gets very, very discouraging, especially if you make honest mistakes over again, especially if you sinned again, especially if you feel like there's so much you need to catch up and you feel overwhelmed and you feel like it's too much work to serve God and you think that the Christian life is so hard. But you got to understand that to become a great champion for the Lord is not where you start off from climbing an oak tree. It starts from the bottom as a mustard seed. It starts with the softness of the ground. Amen. So don't take those little things lightly for the Lord. It becomes a great thing that God uses. Because he always works from the bottom, not from the top. So if you get discouraged about, <coughs> well, pastor, you just don't know some things I'm struggling with. Some things that I feel like I'll never catch up. Uh, never say never. Because the point is, I guarantee you this, I know this. If a person has a soft heart for the Lord, if they love Jesus Christ somewhere in their heart, God will speak to that person. God will change that person. And God can use that person. And God will grow you. Guarantee, guarantee, guarantee. Did you hear what I just said? If you have a softness in you where the preaching still convicts you, you have a softness in you where you know that uh, you need to get right with God with some things. If there's a softness within you where you're still listening to some truth, if there's a softness in you where you love Jesus and you want to please Him, 
If there's a softness within you, I guarantee that the Lord will use that heart and grow it. The only issue is that if you have a hard heart, and that's the issue, is that if you have a hard heart. <clears throat> so maybe, if you look deep down inside your heart, you're not the greatest of soul winners. And maybe you're not faithful in your attendance in soul winning. But you do have a soft heart somewhere about that. You do get under conviction about attending street preaching visitation. You do get under conviction that, hey, I need to win souls somewhere. You do get under conviction that you need to pass out tracts. But maybe you haven't done it because you're fearful. Maybe because you still think it's too hard or the flesh is just too great. But if your heart is soft concerning witnessing that it's right and I know I need to do it, I promise you this, the Lord will use it. And the Lord will make you a soul winner one way or the other. He will get you to witness. Some of you might not be uh, able to conquer your sin. And it's been years and you still get discouraged. But you have a softness in there that I need to quit this. I need to stop this. And this sin is uh, bringing a bad testimony to the church or to others around me. And I'm so ashamed and I feel so guilty. If you have a softness in there where you confess and repent underneath the blood, then the Lord will, that much is sufficient alone where the Lord can use you. He will get you right with God one way or another, give you the victory one way or the another, and he will be faithful and to keep helping you even though you let him down and you're faithless. Amen. If you have a softness, I want to encourage you, there is hope. But if you have a hardness, and that's the issue. The issue is, is that when the preacher preaches something from the word of God, and then the heart just cranks up and becomes hard and says, I don't like what the pastor said about that doctrine. That's good, preacher. Then the Lord can't use you. Then you should be worried. You should be discouraged, rightfully so. But if you hear the sermon and you're like, man, he's right, but it's so hard for me. I can't help it, or I'm afraid, or I'm just too fleshly. There's hope for you. I didn't say that uh, after the preaching that you got it right and you lived right. No. Sometimes it's very hard because we're all flesh and we're weak. So don't be discouraged about that. God will still use you. You should worry and get discouraged if the heart is hard, though, saying, nope, wrong. I don't care what you say. I could care less. Then you should be worried. I don't care what you say about reading this many chapters of the Bible per day. I can read at my own pace. I don't care what you teach about that doctrine. You're wrong. I think visions are real, tongues are real, and then jibber-jabbering all over the floor and uh, spinning and wallowing on the ground is uh, spiritual for the Lord. I know I saw the blue hair and uh, blue-eyed and blonde, blue-eyed and blonde-haired Jesus. Some of them probably saw blue-haired Jesus, for all I know. I know I know what I saw, and you can't tell me that I'm wrong about that. God can't use you. You should be discouraged. And one way, God's going to break you one way or the other. And you know what? Because you're his child, let me encourage you with this too. You ready? If you have a soft heart somewhere where you want to do what's right, and maybe there's something that you might be hard-hearted on, okay? But generally, if you have a soft heart that I want to do what's right, that's it? Just simple as that. All the specifics you might disagree with. But if there's a soft heart there that I want to do what's right rather than what's wrong, then, I, then there is hope that the Lord will chastise you because that's his job. Why? To soften your heart. You're hard. And it's his job that he beats you down that this is too hard. And when they, he softens that ground, guess what? Bang! 
because you refuse to soften your heart. So God's going to go bang and bang, and some of you are going through that right now. Some of you are going through that right now, and then the Lord's just hitting you and hitting you and hitting you. Why? So that you can be soft, and then you can finally be receptive to what God says. Okay, finally, I realize, Lord, I'm wrong about this. I let go of my pride and my, uh, it is pride, Lord. It is flesh. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. So here it is, Lord. I'm wrong. I admit it. And then the Lord said, finally, I got your attention. So that's the Lord. Some of you who are struggling and you have a soft heart and then you feel like the hardness is rising up, you get afraid, don't you? You get afraid. You're like, oh, God, I don't want to be hard-hearted. Don't worry. The Lord will take care of you. He's like, don't worry, child. I got your back. Bam! Wham! Bam! And you go, whoa! And you go, oh, it hurts God. And God says, see, I got your back. Don't worry. Some people don't rejoice when God uh, beats them down. Paul does. Paul says, through trial, affliction, suffering, I rejoice. 2 Corinthians 12. God's, God has got your back. When you're afraid that you're going to be hard-hearted somewhere, God says, don't worry, I got you. Bam! Wham! Smack! Smack! And you go, thank you, Lord, for breaking me. Amen. That's the soft-heartedness. You can have that, or you can be very hard-hearted, and then the Lord will smack you down to make you repent of your pride. The worst thing to do is that you're so hard-hearted that the Lord will let you go, and then he'll use a different ground to use. That's when you should be discouraged and scared. But let me tell you something. If there's a soft heart there where, Lord, I want to forsake this sin. Lord, uh, I know that I'm wrong and the preaching is right about this. The doctrine is correct on this. But I'm just having such a hard time. Let me tell you something. There is hope for you and you should never be discouraged. Amen. The only time you should be afraid is when you're hard-hearted. Mm. Not soft-hearted. That's all. What you're struggling with is not, verse 23, softness. It's the second point, surrender, verse 24. Surrender. That's what you're struggling with. And he said unto them, take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that, ha uh, for he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So Jesus Christ says, as much as you're willing to give to him and you give it to him, give it up to him, God's going to give you back to that measurement. Listen, if you, uh, if you, if there's some things that you're holding back from God that you refuse to surrender, the Lord's going to hold back that amount of blessing too. But the more that you give up for him, the more the Lord will bless you and he'll meet it exactly to the amount that you surrender to him. That's my second point, surrender. Your struggle, I believe, is the second point, not the first point. For those of you who are afraid of point number one, but there's a softness in you, perhaps the real issue is not that. It's not because you're hard-hearted. It's because of the second point, surrender. Surrender. And that's found at verse 24 through 25, is that how much you give up to him, the Lord will bless you. But there are some things you're still holding back, aren't you? After altar call, altar call, altar call after altar call, sermon after sermon, there are some, still some things you're holding back. And you know that you're wrong, God's right, and you need to give it up, but it's just hard for you. So then what can you do at that point? Very simple. 
because I did the same thing too. You might say, no, not you, Pastor. You love Jesus. You gave up all for him. <laughs> See, that's your problem. You keep looking at the tall oak tree. You don't look at the mustard seed. You know, you know where I was before I became the oak tree that you see today? Mustard seed. I was like, Lord, I can't give up this. I can't give up that. I did say that to him. What did I do? I, I was just honest to him. I was honest. Lord, this is hard to give up. This is hard to give up. I'm afraid to surrender here because I'm afraid you're going to do this to me. And Lord, I just my flesh can't give up on this one. It's so hard. But you know what I did? I said, Lord, I can't do it because I'm flesh and I'm weak. You have to do it for me. And then guess what? The Lord helped me. You know what you need to do when you surrender? There's something I cannot surrender, preacher, then just say this. Lord, I'm going to be honest with you. I can't surrender. Be honest. Tell him all the specifics. God, I can't surrender this. I can't surrender that. I need you to do it for me. You have to do it, not me. I can't. I'm being honest, Father. I'm weak. Sure, I'm wicked. Whatever, God. But you need to do it for me. You need to help me. And guess what? God will help you. God will. I mean, the greatest thing you can do is, Lord, make me live a life that will please you because I can't do it. And it's hard for me to even uh, surrender and give it up to you. You know, uh, one of my prayer requests, and this is probably a prayer requ request that is probably not ideal, which I would not recommend, but personally in my life I did that. I actually prayed, Lord, I know this is an impossible prayer request, but I love you. I want to please you. Uh, make me one of the top people in heaven that make you happy. That's all I want. And then guess what? Uh, I told him, Lord, I know I have this issue. I have this problem. But Lord, anything's possible with you. And Lord, please don't put me at a point where it's gonna, I'm going to break down mentally, where I lose my joy and get miserable. So please understand that and just make me somehow in some way a person that will be happy at the judgment seat of Christ, not scared and miserable. And only you can do that for me. And guess what? God did. Amen. God did. God, he, you'd be amazed how many times he's gentle with you that it will not break you. And you'd be surprised how many in the... Areas where you thought it's a breaking point and a suffering, it actually didn't turn out to be that bad. So you got to realize this. That's where faith in God comes in. Amen. How you surrender is faith. It's not by like, uh, oh man, this is so complicated. This is so hard. I have to do this. I have to do that. Then, who, then that's self-righteousness and pride. How much do you trust yourself to please God? I don't. I don't care how many times you read through the Bible or you're a great spiritual Christian or how many sins that you've forsaken. None of us at our best will ever be the best for the Lord. And I realize that, God, I, I, I need you. And, God, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to let you down. And, God, I need you to help me out. I need you to get my back. And, God, it's hard for me to give up this and this. So you have to do it for me. Good preaching. And guess what? God will help you. Be honest with him. I take a leap of faith knowing that he'll take care of me. He won't be unfair to me. And he won't make my life miserable through that even though I feel during some miserable moments that I'm miserable. But God always proved himself right to me and I'm wrong that his way is always best and preferable. Amen. So God will never be unfair. 
And that's your issue. Your issue of not surrendering is you don't really believe in him. It's your lack of faith. You know what will help you surrender? Your problem is that I can only surrender. I can only surrender if this is taken care of, if that's taken care of, if I, uh, once I experience more in life and see better. No, don't do that. You need to just stop thinking all the specifics you planned out. God, how he works and grows is when you're completely blind to those things and you take a leap of faith. That's what faith is. Faith is not when everything is set or taken care of. It's literally where you're scared and you have no idea and you're like, God, I'm just doing it in the dark and then you just take a leap of faith. God, help me. And then God's like, don't worry, I got you. (laughs) You know what will help you surrender? You need to take that leap of faith. But everyone is scared. That's the point of being scared. It's a leap of faith. But I'm scared to take that leap of faith. Well, the thing is this, is that one time, there's a story that goes, there was a ship that was sinking, and then a rescue boat came by. And this person was scared of heights, and the person was scared of the waves, and the person saw some sharks over there. So the person was so scared, and the ship was sinking. And the person in the rescue boat said, you need to jump. But then the person said, I'm too scared, I can't do it. But then guess what? The ship sank down. The person sank down. It was too late. When the person jumped, it was already too late. And then died in the middle of the ocean. What's my point? My point is this, is that if you should be more scared of the ship you're sinking in than that rescue boat that God provided. When you surrender to him, you're surrendering to his rescue boat, rescuing you from the world and your flesh and the devil. And sure, it's a scary thing jumping to a rescue ship because you have no idea how sturdy that rescue boat might be or what life might entail in the future. And you might think that I'm afraid this bad thing might happen, that bad thing might happen. But you'd be surprised how many of those bad things you thought would happen actually didn't happen. And you'd be surprised on some of the bad things that you thought would happen when it did happen, how God pulled you through that. So that's all an act of faith. And all an act of faith is just, oh, God, here we go, and you jump. You, you might say, why should I jump? Because you're sinking right now, and the shark is biting your toes, and some of you know that. Some of you feel that dark water already. And see, what Satan is waiting for you to sink more, sink more, sink more, and guess what? There are some people who sunk, and they don't come back to church anymore. Some people who are messed up in the world, and there's a point of no return. Some people, they get bitter at God, and they don't repent. And some of them end up, God forbid, as atheists. So that's why if there's something you should be afraid is the boat you're sinking now. If fear is what is causing you to not surrender to the Lord, then perhaps you should focus your fear on something else. It's that boat you're sinking. You need to surrender. I mean, I don't know about some of you, but if I were some of you, I'd just take a leap of faith on this altar like before, before I sink in my ship that I'm sitting on right now, further and further. Will God ever do you wrong? Will God ever be unfair and unjust to you? See, you don't really believe him. And if you believe him and surrender, God will do you good. Amen.
So it, your softness is not perhaps the issue. It's perhaps a surrender. And the surrender main problem is fear. But you're not trusting me. You're not trusting the most dependable people in the world. You know who you're trusting in? God who created your breath and your thoughts and you and knows your exact limitations. How can you not trust a being like that? If you can trust him with your eternal soul, why can't you trust him with your temporary body, this temporary small life? My third point is step by step. Let's look at uh, verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should, seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. What is so crucially important is step by step. Step by step. Now, the problem with some people is this issue. The reason why church cannot become successful is people fail the step-by-step -step process. And some of you are struggling through that. Some of you, I don't know which point you are. Are you, point, are you the person at point number one with the hardness of heart issue? Then I hope point number one helped you. Maybe some of you are the point number two person. You have a difficult time surrendering. So I hope point number two helped you. But maybe point number one, point number two is not your issue. Maybe point number three is your issue, step by step. Because you're going step by step in attending church faithfully, every witnessing event, and your Bible reading and prayer, but then you backslide, right? You mess up. And even in step by step process, you feel so discouraged, and you're like, oh, I can't climb up a higher level. And then sometimes you're conquering sin like literally one day at a time, right? If not literally one hour at a time or one minute at a time, some of you are fighting through that, and you're like, uh, and you fail the step-by-step -step process, and you're like, man, this is so hard. Man, this is so difficult. Step-by-step -step is so important for a ministry to grow into fruition. Majority of people in church, I would, I would dare say, in Bible-believing churches, not mega churches, but Bible-believing churches, I think the majority of the people's problem is this point, step-by-step. Step by step. Some of you backslid in your memory verses and didn't memorize the verses like you're supposed to. Some of you failed your step by step process and skipped somewhere in your Bible reading or your prayer time. Uh, some of you failed your step by step process and fell back into sin, etc. You know what's going to be helpful to you uh, in this step by step process? You might say, What is it, preacher? Do not give yourself a burden that uh, greater than you can bear. Did you understand that? You, a lot of people, you know, they think that, oh, I can be like Brother Sean at the first day of street preaching. I don't know why I can't do that. You know, I heard Brother Tom won his first soul to salvation at the first day of visitation. I can't do that. And then that's the problem is that you keep looking at fantasies that you can't accomplish yourself. Did you understand what I just said? Look, if you think that your visitation, your street preaching, that you're going to do a decent job at it, and then it turns out you don't do at least a decent job at it, you get discouraged, and then you don't come to street preaching visitation anymore. Am I hitting something somewhere? Is that you? Look, you got to realize this. Step-by-step -step process is, you got to realize, 
something you can't handle. Now, let me ask you, is there something you can handle? I remember Brother Jared, uh, not to put him in a bad light, but it's actually a good thing. It's something that's a good thing to encourage people here. Brother Jared, he has the softness. He has the surrender. And then the step-by-step, step, he was just overtly worried. And then he might have his mistakes, or he might even have his sins or imperfections. And maybe he didn't do as 100% of a good job as he should. But I simply told him this. I was like, can you simply say this much? Or can you at least pass out these tracks? He's like, uh, yeah, I guess. I'm like, yeah, you can, right? Anyone could do it, right? Is it that hard? No. I'm like, yeah, see, so you can do it. Go. Guess what happened? He passes more tracks than all the us people in the church now. You know how that happens? Step by step. You need to put yourself at a position that you can handle. Let me ask you this question, all right, for the, those of you struggling with sin. You ready for this? Can you not sin, all right? Can you not sin for a couple, uh, four hours? Can you do that? Well, yeah, I can do that. Then just don't sin during those four hours. But the fifth hour, I'm going to sin again and do that. See, you're messing up. You're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. What are you looking at? You're looking at the oak tree. You're not going to spiritually grow. You need to look at yourself and put yourself at, okay, this much I know I can handle. I know I can handle. Can you pray first thing in the morning? Like five minutes? Like five minutes? Is it that hard? Let's make it easier for you, shall we? Can you do one minute? Can you do one minute? First thing in the morning, just get up and just pray 60 seconds. Can you all do that? What happens is, I guarantee you this, all right? God is my witness, and some of these people know I'm right because they've done it. If you start out something small like that, naturally, naturally, you do more. Guarantee, guarantee, guarantee. You will grow more. You will conquer the sin more if you start with these small things. Why? Because it's a mustard seed. You don't add a little mustard in your life. You just put the tree here and the tree there and the tree there. God will not bless a church with fruit if you think you just get a tree like that. It's a little seed. Thank you, Lord. It's a little seed. Can you not just uh, uh, read one chapter of your Bible? A lot of people read five to ten chapters. Can you read three per day? Well, I messed up in the bulletin. I backslid in three. Then do one. One chapter is still too hard, Pastor. Okay, can you play an audio recording and go through one chapter? You'd be Scurvy may sound slow, but you'd be surprised. You'd be done with one chapter in three minutes, surprisingly. Surprisingly. And you're done. And then what happens is you just let the audio go on. And all of a sudden you go, wow, I just reached the fourth chapter all of a sudden. I'm a little bit above the minimum now. Woo, this is great. Put yourself at a position you can do. I can't do street preaching. I can't do visitation. Can you do one? Can you attend one? Trust me, all right? Trust me, Pastor Kim is not going to look down on you when you come to visitation or street preaching that time. Instead, he's going to go, oh, wow, good to see you. <laughs> We're going to be happy. All right, can't you come to one of them a month? Oh, I can't do that one hour. I feel so ashamed. One hour is too hard for me, Pastor. Can you come to the last maybe 20 minutes or something? Can you do that? And trust me, you don't have to talk, okay? You don't even have to talk. All you have to do is just follow along. That's it. 
and then the brethren will cover your back. And guess what? I guarantee you this. Naturally, you're gonna, you, you can't shut your mouth. One day, you're going to open that mouth one day. I had a sister in Christ. Didn't do any soul winning for years, years. Just kept attending. And you know what happened? Then when I was witnessing to the parents, I saw that sister witnessing to a child and leading that child to Christ. Amen. Why? Not two years. She didn't get out the first day or within three weeks good, or within like a, a year, you know. I guess she was so backslidden that she it had to take her two years long. Do you think I was disappointed? No, I was overjoyed. You know why? Amen. That's how fruit grows. Yeah. It takes time, Amen. step by step. Amen. Now, the, you might reach a point where you're so motivated and you go, Pastor, I've done the bare minimum rule, but I failed. I messed up. You, it turned out that the small things that you're able to do, that it turned out to be such a spiritual battle. Are you listening to me? This is some of you. I know this is some of you. Some of you have put a small task that you can bear, but you're struggling with it. You know what happens automatically? Shame and guilt. And then what happens is the devil gets to your mind and says, see, you can't even do one chapter of the Bible. So because you can't even do that much, why bother reading the Bible at all? That is the devil. You know what you should do when you reach to that point? You should just simply, obviously, confess it under the blood. And then say, okay, if I'm so stupid, you need to humble yourself, all right? Don't feel guilty, but, be, but you should accept your stupidity, your weakness. Amen. You Amen. should, because if you, don't, if you don't accept your stupidity and weakness, you're going to always get discouraged. That's what's going to happen. If I make a mistake, if I sin, if I mess up, you know what helped me a lot? Is to accept my stupidity. I go... <laughs> Satan says, you're stupid, you're wicked. And you know why I say to the devil? Oh, you're right. No, I don't do that. I said, I already know that. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, Amen, brother. On, brother. Satan, you think I'm stupid? You know? So Satan's like, okay, I got to find something else to attack me then. See, just accept your stupidity and weakness and say, because I am incredibly stupid and weak, I'm going to read at, I'm going to start out the morning three verses. Because I'm so stupid and weak. At least I can start with something. And I guarantee, I promise you, I guarantee you this. That don't last forever when you're consistent three verses every single day. It will grow. Guarantee. Guarantee. Amen. You grow. You naturally grow. You do step by step. But the key is you're consistent. You're faithful. Well, what if I mess up? So what? whoop de doo Confess it under the blood and go even lower and start something. I guarantee you this, any, every, every single one of you, man, woman, child, I don't care who you are, you can produce at least some kind of step for the Lord. And I guarantee you, if you're consistent in that step, who despises the day of small scenes? Who despises the small seeds? Can't God use the small things? I guarantee you this, this small thing, God will naturally grow it. Now get back to work, huh? After church is over, some of you need to get back to work have a step-by-step program and make a determination, this is how much I'm going to witness. This is how much I'm going to memorize my verses this time and not skip it another day. This is how much I'm going to pray. This is how much I'm going to read the Bible. This is how much I'm going to volunteer to help out the church. Well, guess what? The devil says, you messed up in the small things and any stupid, idiotic, wicked person can even do that except you. 
Woohoo, shame on you, and tell the devil, you're absolutely right. What am I? Like Paul said, chief of sinners, sinners saved by grace. Move on. Amen. So step by step, I promise you, church has to grow. Church has to grow if every single person puts their heart and soul in the step-by-step process. Next step is uh, the sickle. Sickle. Let's look at uh, verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. So now it's the fourth step is sickle. You're harvesting fruit, much fruit. Some of you <coughs> may not have a problem with uh, point number one, softness. Some of you may not have a problem with point number two, surrender. Some of you may not have a problem with point number three, step by step. I mean, you're not 100% perfect, but you're generally there, all right? But the fourth step is probably your issue. And a lot of pastors and people who are in charge of ministries have this issue. The fourth point is the sickle, getting fruit, getting fruit. That is incredibly discouraging, especially if you're a pastor that treads on for five years or eight years, and then you grow members, and then you drop to two, and then you start to wonder, Lord, what did I do wrong? And you don't get fruit, and that's incredibly discouraging. Hey, missionary, hey, pastor, and I don't care who you are, stop getting discouraged. You can produce fruit for the Lord, and I don't care how little or small your fruit is. You produce fruit for the Lord. You might say, how do I produce fruit for the Lord? Fruit for the Lord is, this is your problem. You keep looking at Paul Chapel and his Lancaster Baptist Church, where it consists of thousands of people attending the services, and you look at Jack Hiles with his fresh oil sermon about Holy Spirit of Power, and oh, wow, the large top, 20, top 15 largest churches in America, and then you all look at Dr. Ruckman with this wealth of knowledge, and you go, wow, that is so awesome. And then you look at your even your own pastor, and maybe, God forbid, but even at me, and then because you keep looking at that, and then when you're pastoring a church that doesn't have a, a huge online ministry, doesn't have a lot of people, and people who are still struggling carnal and fleshly, you get discouraged, you beat yourself over the head, and you think that your work has no fruit. No, you have fruit. And I don't care if you have an 80-year-old grandma in your church and that's the only member, you make fruit. You have a sickle to produce fruit, no matter who you are, because fruit is not from, you got your problem again. Fruit is not numbers. How many times, I mean, you pastors, you missionaries should know that. But we even forget that basic thing, and we keep looking at, who Paul Chapel, great guy, and you have to buy his stupid books. Yeah, I said stupid. You have to buy his stupid books, and then think like, oh, because he acted like a politician over here, he treated people this way. He has this exciting kids program, which is so cool. That's the reason why. Shame on you that you looked at that. Shame on you. You know why? Because you think that these are the methods. You think that his method is producing fruit. That is not fruit. God gives everybody's ministry, and God knows everybody's personality character is different, and the terrain is totally different. He's in the middle of a desert at Lancaster, for crying out loud. You think he's in San Francisco? Come on, man. I've seen huge, beautiful building churches in San Francisco, and I only saw less than 10 people in there. 
I mean, what in the world, man? They're looking at wrong people, wrong ideology. If you're a missionary to Japan, you're looking at the wrong pastor to build a church. You got to look at your ministry that God has given to you. And that includes you church members too. This is not just ministry leaders. You can't keep looking at other people. God has something planned in your life, your own way, that you can't even look at other people at. Fruit is done by what? The previous point. Step by step. So what if you don't, if you're a missionary to Japan, I keep using missionary to Japan. The reason why is because that's the hardest country that I can think of that you can get. I don't care if you have zero members in your church, zero souls saved. You know how you can produce fruit for the Lord? You could perhaps pass out millions of tracts compared to any other person in the world, more than Paul Chapel. You might say, how so? Because you can leave tracts on all the doors. You know what your problem is? You're looking at the wrong fruits. You got to look at your fruit, what you can do for God. You know, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a big shot preacher back then. Some of the people know my original beginnings. Just humble, typical nobody. Always feeling embarrassed that our room does not look as pleasant and visitors who come in feel embarrassed and leave. No wonder people keep looking at Paul Chappell's books and try to make their building more lavish. You got to realize this. I'm not downplaying the importance of good condition buildings, but what I'm pointing out is you're looking at the wrong fruit because my fruit was not the right building. Because trust me, even a cheap building that you have your own over here is very different and impossible. You pay more than a million dollars. All right, probably two maybe or something like that. So looking at Paul Chapel's ministry is a bad, poor example to me. I mean, he's got, what? It's a whole desert of nothing out over there. You think he's going to have a problem with property? So the thing is this, is that you got to look at what you can do for the Lord. You know what I thought when I started at the beginning of the ministry? Some of you were there at my beginning. You know what I thought? We're going to win more souls than anybody. So we're going to do that. And I don't care if we're less than 10 people soul winning. Lord, I'm going to witness five times a week. You know what we accomplished? 1,000 souls. So some people mistakenly thought we're a huge church, and they're like, man, you got a thousand souls saved, so then uh, can you send some people to help our church? And I'm like, oh, I got less than 10 people in the church. <laughs> they were like, huh? So I was embarrassed to say that. But I wasn't embarrassed to say that despite it being a small ministry, we did that much for the Lord. If you're a missionary to Japan, you can pass out millions of tracts. That's your fruit. If you're a if you got no ministry but just preaching on the street, guess what? You know what your fruit is? Count every average soul that passed by you in preaching. That's right. And then see if it numbers up to the millions when you go to the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know how many literally scores of people are in per traffic light in cities especially? Look at your fruits. Well, I'm a grandmother, bedridden. I can't do nothing for the Lord. Yeah, don't give me that. You know what you could do? You could pray hours a day and pray more than any 10 pastors combined. Right. And that's your fruit. You know what? You're not looking at the right fruit. Look at what you can do for the Lord and what you can do more than other people. Amen, brother. And then the Lord can bless you with so much fruit. So much fruit. So start looking. Don't look at the wrong fruits. Don't look at numbers. Remember, it's step by step. And the Lord gives the fruit. Now, some of you are probably at this point, and you need to look at your fruits. Are you doing a really, are you a fruitful life for the Lord, really? 
Have you been backslidden in your fruit process? Some of you passed out more tracts before than now. Some of you won more souls before than now. Some of you read the Bible more before than now. Some of you prayed more before than now. And if you backslid on that, then you know your problem. You're like, I was producing fruit, but I backslid. I need to get back on track. Some of you have memorized more verses, and then now you lost the consistency. That's why churches get weaker. You know why? Because the people who are in the fruitful process, not the people who are struggling with the surrender process, the people who are in the fruitful process already, and you know who you are, you're in the fruitful process, but you backslid your, uh, your rate for the Lord. That's why the bulletin is there. You know why? It's so that you don't compare with another person. It's to compare with yourself. Past weeks. My next point is uh, verse 31. 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up, period? No. And becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. That's my fourth point. Uh, uh, I forgot my point. But this is my next point. My next point is at fifth point. My fifth point is the spreading. Spreading. Now, you know what I think? What I think is, is uh, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, okay? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm shamefully going to say this. I think 90, if not 99% of Bible-believing preachers, and maybe even the big shots too, they're guilty of this point. Spreading. You might say, why? Because Bible-believing preachers think that because they've got a lot of fruit for the Lord, that they're happy, and they give God the glory, which is good, and they keep up the fruits, which is good, but they don't do more for the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? The worst place you can be in is at a state of contentment where you think you've done enough for the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> Sometimes it might be the Lord's will that, you know, this is your limitation. This is enough. So be content. You're going to stay here. No, you're not going to reach 10,000 members. <clears throat> you're going to just reach this couple hundred, and you're just going to keep producing fruit for me. That's possible. But me, I don't believe that is the case 100% of the time. I think the case is, is that sometimes you people think that you've done enough for the Lord, and you don't do more. You know, what my, you know why the Lord blessed our internet ministry? And this is not to say that, uh, that I'm the greatest of all pastors. It's the right focus because I learned this from other preachers, all right? So this is not just me. This is from other preachers that I've learned is that I have a big vision. That's when you get older as a preacher, you lose your vision. When, you, when you're young, you have a big vision. I'm going to do this much for the Lord, but you don't realize that you're at point number three, step by step. But see, some of you, you're already producing fruit, and you're consistent at it, but you're not doing more for the Lord. You need to spread it. How far? Until every single soul is saved in the world. That's my goal, and I told that to the Lord. I said, Lord, this is an impossible prayer request, and I know I only have two people in my church for now, but I, my vision did not die, Lord, until I reach every single iota across the world with Bible-believing truth. If you would give that to me, Father, I'm going to keep on going. That's why the Lord blessed our internet, which I had no idea about. Amen. So you know what? I'm not stopping. Your pastor ain't stopping. This is not the end. You know what we're going to do? We're going to grow more. 
We're going to do more ministries. We're going to plant more, uh, more ministries. We're going to win more souls to salvation. We're going to advance the online ministry. We're going to advance the church ministry. We're going to advance the ladies' ministry, the children's ministry, the music ministry. I ain't stopping. I'm going to go all the way until I believe it's the Lord's will, then I'm done. Are you spreading more for the Lord? Some of you are consistent in your fruit. Probably zero people here because <laughs> I don't know if anyone's that spiritual. But perhaps some of you uh, are fruitful and you're consistent in your fruit, but you're not spreading more. What's, what's the harm with adding one more member to the church? Passing out one more track? Reading one more chapter of the Bible? Finding one more sin and imperfection in you that you should fix and clean up. You're, I really don't believe everybody surrendered all. I really don't believe that. I really believe that it's a process, a continual process until you're like Jesus Christ. Until you reach every single soul. Then you're done. Spread it out. Spread it out. My last point is verse 32, the last part of verse 32, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And that's where I want to close it at is this last point. You know, the number one thing that I see why church ministries don't grow, so this is the most important point you want to listen to, all right? Do you know why churches fail and they don't grow successfully? Your life doesn't grow and become successful? It's not a big secret. It's something very simple. In this passage, verse 32, fowls are represented as the devils. You know what happens when you start, start doing something fruitful for the Lord? The devil keeps an eye on you. And he's like, ah, I'm going to send a minion over here and send a little fowl, lodge on that little branch, and eat it up. I'm going to eat that seed. I don't, oh, but I'm not a tree pastor. It don't matter. That bird can see the seed and eat it. Didn't the parable say that? The birds ate the seeds. Didn't even produce fruit. You know what Satan will do? Satan sees you getting that one day victory over sin. And he has a system set up where he's going to have these devils pay attention and then attack you the next day and get you to fall back. You know why churches don't grow? It's not because of, uh, I don't think it's because of more so of points one through five. It's point six. Because a devil interferes in your life. Why? All, just one little incident in the church, you can split the church. Just a one little temptation, the person falls back into sin again. Just a one little discouragement that, oh, you're not really worth it and stuff like that, you backslide. Busyness, just increasing the little busyness in the workplace, you don't come to church as much anymore. Increase the workload in the school place, you're not faithful to God as you used to be. Send a new family member in the home or a crisis going on, attacking your health. You're not as spiritual to the Lord as before. It's always something, it's, it's always an interference from some foul that ruins the church. Sometimes uh, I say this, uh, one thing I notice about Bible-believing churches that can take away members is um, uh, busyness and relationships. Ships. It's those are the two biggest things, busyness and relationship. But to be quite honest, it's more simple than that. It's just simply the devil. He just has to increase the busyness. He just has to send some uh, problem in your relationship. It's that simple. 
That's the number one reason why you don't grow. Guess what happens after the service is over? There's a foul above you, and it's going to land on your shoulder. And it's going to try to pick, eat up any fruit that you have ready. Here's the most important thing that you want to listen, okay? If there is one thing you want to get victory from this sermon is to drive out that foul. Because if you kick out that interference, all the other points naturally within you. But if, the, if it's that foul that's whispering in your ear discouragement or stubbornness, then you have a problem with point number one, which is bad. Or trying to give a sudden suffering all of a sudden. You must absolutely refuse that foul to sit on your branch. You need to kick that out. You need to get victory. Amen. You know what uh, hurt my life so many times in the ministry is that foul on me. Not the people in the church. Not because uh, I didn't do as great as I should have been, even though I should have done better. It's the foul. It's the foul. And the Lord needed to teach me how to conquer my fouls. Then I can grow. It's like this. There's a story that goes <clears throat> that there was a f uh, farmer who wanted to produce like a great crop and live a happy life in the garden. And then a landowner gave him a huge pot plot of land. And it was rich. And the landowner said, this is all yours for free. It's yours. Grow whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And I guarantee you this. The landowner also gave a guarantee to that farmer. This land is guaranteed to grow the best type of uh, soil and crops, etc. Farmer, any farmer would be naturally excited. For free. Farmer got to work. And guess what? As long as he was faithful in the seeds and toiling of the ground and then the watering and all that, the plants is guaranteed to naturally grow and it was growing. But the thing that interfered was because there was a different farmer next door and he didn't get that plot of land and he was extremely mad and jealous. So this different farmer was so angry that, oh, here's this guy who gets the land for free. I don't get it. So this farmer tried to trick the other farmer saying, look, I've been to this land before and it don't actually grow. It doesn't? No, it really doesn't. Look at my garden over here. See, isn't that nice? Oh, yeah, it's really nice. And the farmer said, see, this is the kind of land I have. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little better deal. If you uh, give up that land and give it to me, I'll give you a better part of land. The farmer was a little sketchy at first, but, but believed the word of the landowner and kept toiling. But that other farmer kept interfering by always offering to him, by always interfering and attacking his crops and saying that it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Sadly, the farmer believed him and gave up the land and gave it to the adversary. The adversary took his land, and then the adversary offered him a lie, false hope, a ruined land, and that poor farmer ended up with a bad piece of land. One day, uh, this farmer who got an unfair raw deal saw, let's call him Farmer C, all right? Farmer C. Farmer C, having a successful plot of land in the land he originally gave away and gave up. So then uh, Farmer A, let's call him. There's so many farmers now, so let's call him Farmer A, the one who originally gave up the land. Farmer A went to Farmer C 
and said, wow, this is beautiful. And farmer C said, yep, this beautiful crop, vegetation, and garden. And farmer A told him, you know, this land used to be mine, and I used to own it. How did you get this land? And farmer C said, I don't know. It was just simple. A landowner offered me this land and said, you know, this land is yours. I've taken it away from the adversary, and I want to give it to you, and it's guaranteed to grow and produce much fruit if you would have it. Farmer C said, all right, and believed his word. And Farmer C said, yeah, and then there was this guy who, the adversary who kept telling me that the land won't work, I won't produce fruit, but I ignored him, and I kept believing the word of the landowner. And I kept working hard, and this is the kind of fruit I get. Farmer A regretted his decision for all of his life and knew he would never get that much fruit again. What's my point? My point is you're Farmer A, and God, the landowner God has given you a crop guaranteed to grow no matter what. But you've let the adversary trick you into buying a false plot of land. You let the adversary steal your land, your property. You might say, why? Because it originally belonged to the adversary. The adversary remembered his position as second in charge in heaven, having all the riches of the world and heaven. But God took that away from him and gave it to you. So the adversary wants it back, wants you to be as miserable. But guess what? The landowner God is so powerful. He takes it away from the adversary and will give it to a different Christian. And some of you are looking at those different Christians right now and being sad, miserable that you can't produce much fruit. I want to tell you today that the land opportunity is still open for you if you would come down on the altar, get right with God, and I promise you this, it will grow. It will grow. The only reason why it didn't grow all this time is you allowed the adversary somewhere in your past to take it away from you. Get back to your land. Every head bowed, every eye shut. The altar call is open. Get back to your land. Amen. Get back to your land. You're, you're going to grow. I promise you. I don't care who you are, how backslidden you are. You will produce fruit. I promise you this. You need to get back the land from God. Some of you have a... I don't think it's point number one that's your issue. But you do have that. I think you've got to soften the heart now. That's pretty serious. You're at a dangerous place. But I would say no one is there. Pretty much everyone has a soft heart because you're here at church, right? There's somewhere that you want to please Jesus. Maybe there's somewhere in the ground that's hard. If that's the case, then be soft. Be soft. And let God soften you. Say, Lord, soften me. I think the majority of the people's problem is point number two, surrender. I would encourage you today to just be honest with the Lord. Say, God, surrender this or that. Lord, it's very hard for me. You have to change me. You have to help me surrender. You have to make my life better for you. Can you at least do that? You say, I'm afraid. You should be more afraid in your seat right now where that ship is sinking, more than that rescue boat have a leap this is literally a leap of faith that you're doing right now surrender to him take that leap now this time while you're praying to him I think that most of you also have a problem with the third point it's the step-by-step -step process look just don't give yourself a task that you can't do 
Don't look at me. Don't look at some of the sisters or the brothers in our church. And you do. Can you at least do that? Just at least do that. And I promise you, it will naturally grow. Some of you might say, but I'm not naturally growing, Pastor. The reason why is it your heart that you didn't surrender? Two, there's somewhere in your heart that you're hard-hearted on. Or three, it's because you backslid in your step-by-step process. That's the only three things. That's it. I guarantee you, if you do step-by-step process, and then you take care of point one and point two, softness and surrender, God will naturally grow you. I promise you. I guarantee you that. Just do step-by-step. You'd be amazed what God can carry you miles and miles away later on. Your problem is impatience, that's why, and discouragement. Fourth point, some of you are fruitful workers, but you have not been consistent, have you? You know who you are. You're the fruitful worker. Your, your problem is not point one and two, so stop pretending that's your point. Your, your, your problem is your fruitfulness, and you need to get back on the rate of fruitfulness. You need to attend the witnessing as much, your church attendance, coming here early to volunteer to help out. You know who you are. You need to keep up your fruitfulness. Your memory verses, you need to keep that up. Your Bible reading, your prayer. Some of you who are fruitful for the Lord and consistent, your problem is you don't spread more. What's the harm of doing one more, searching one more imperfection in you that you need to repent and change? Me, it's a constant process. I still do it. I still do it every day. I find new things that I didn't realize I had a problem with until later on in life. Sixth point is, I think we're all guilty. You allow the adversary to interfere with whatever process you're in. You need to cast that at the altar, dunk that underneath the blood of Jesus, and absolutely refuse that foul to sit on your branch and steal your fruit. If you're a big tree, you can't let the foul steal your tree. If you're a branch for the Lord, that's your stage. You can't let the foul steal your branch.